You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to conference coverage highlights from the Alliance for Continuing Medical Education 35th Annual Conference held January 27th through 30th in New Orleans. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy at Prova Education in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. Joining us is Jan Balmer from the University of Virginia School of Medicine, and Jan's also the current president of the Alliance for Continuing Medical Education. Hey, Jan. Hi. How are you today? Doing well. You interact with a lot of physicians in your day-to-day business. What do you think practicing physicians need to know about CME? There are a couple of really important points about CME in this current environment that make it critically important to physicians. Number one, CME is more important and more valuable to them in their practice environments than it's ever been. The changes in maintenance of certification, the movement towards maintenance of licensure affects all of the things related to them translating knowledge into practice and applying it. They now are expected to do performance improvement projects for recertification. Residents coming out of training have to do performance improvement projects in order to be eligible. All of those factors are bringing continuing medical education into the workplace, and it needs to be there, and it can actually be helpful to physicians because it can do things like like increase their reimbursement rates, decrease their incident reports and other negative ad or adverse events. All those things make a huge difference. So what do you think we can say to these practicing physicians to get them to better understand CME and the impact on their practice? The first thing that I would say to physicians is, what are the things that give you the biggest headaches in your practice? What are the kinds of clinical problems that present themselves? What are the management and communication issues that minimize or affect the adherence of your patients to the therapies that you recommend? And what kind of continuing education strategies can you and your team in your workplace do to minimize those negative events and maximize patient outcomes. So do you think they need to change the strategy of the content that they get in their CME or the types of courses that they participate in? I think the kinds of courses that they participate in are going to change in front of their very eyes. I also think that from a generational perspective, that the interest in newer strategies, web-based strategies, iPhone, other kinds of strategies are there and available. I think point of care, continuing medical education, getting the information when you need it at the time of making a decision are going to be things that are critically important. Have you encountered any myths and misperceptions in the minds of the practicing physicians about CME? There are several, two or three. One is is that CME credit is something that you can purchase or buy and that it is not connected to the content or the educational quality at all, which is myth number one. Myth number two is that It doesn't have to be in your practice area or as long as you're getting the knowledge that that's sufficient, that's myth number two because it is not sufficient any longer. It may have been, but it is no longer. The third area is is that everything is CME and that is everything is not CME. So if you get a promotional flyer from your friendly pharmaceutical representative who comes to your office and details for you and offers an educational activity for you, that is not accredited, certified, independent CME. That is promotional education. And while there is clearly very much a role for that, it is inherently different because it's product focused as opposed to patient centric and care focused. This is going to be a forward thinking question, Jan. How can we get more of the practicing physicians involved in CME and in what we do? 
to get more physicians involved is to really help them understand that this is for their personal professional development. And when it's about your own survival and your own well-being and your own board certification, and it involves performance improvement and documentation of that, and it is intrinsically tied to your day job, then I think physicians will view it very differently than they have historically. Jen, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Now joining us is Dave Davis from the Association of American Medical Colleges and a long-standing thought leader in the CME community. Dr. Davis, welcome. Thanks for joining Pleasure us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Lawrence. You know, we've been talking to some course of this meeting about the impact of CME on the practicing physicians, not so much on the criteria and the structure that we follow to develop activities, but what the practicing doc who has to participate in CME needs to know. So let me ask you a broad question. Sure. What does the practicing doc need to know about CME? (laughs) Well, I think the most important thing is what the practicing doc needs to know clinically. So that comes from a couple sort of streams. One would be what he or she thinks he needs to know, the gaps in his practice, the new knowledge that he or she hasn't acquired yet, the patient problems that he has to deal with. But increasingly in continuing education, there's a objective feedback that comes from quality measures and feedback on our performance. So the practicing doc needs to pay attention and does often pay attention to those two streams, puts them together, and then finds the right kind of continuing ed activity to meet those needs. And, uh, you know, along those lines, how do the practicing docs that are listening find the right activities for their needs? That's a problem because the continuing ed providers of the country are of a wide variety, from the medical schools to the teaching hospitals to, uh, I used to say storm door companies, but I don't think they're doing CME any longer. I think what the practicing doc has to pay attention to, and I'm sure the really thoughtful ones are doing this, is who's going to give me the best continuing education, not just the best knowledge, most evidence-based not biased, but who's going to give me the kind of knowledge I can take away and apply? So it's one thing to learn about new investigative technique, for example, but when to apply it, how to apply it, how my peers are applying it, for example. That's all really powerful information. So thinking about not just the knowledge dump, if you will, the sort of brain transplant dump, but how am I going to do it? You get to see a fair amount of CME activities or read about them or participate Mm -hmm. in some of them. How do you rate the quality of them, or could you even do that? Uh, That's really interesting. So in the works, not yet for publication, is a little bit of Dave's checklist. So how can you tell whether this is a really good continuing education activity? I think the first thing to look at is who's the sponsor? So is the sponsor a credible source? Is this a continuing education activity that's put on by a teaching hospital whose work you value or a medical school for whom you're the graduate and you know that evidence-based medicine is clear? So I think it's that sponsorship. The format is also very important. I'm not so sure that practicing docs have time to sit for two, three, four days in lectures unless, as I said, it's all about updates. I would like to look for lectures plus interactivity sessions plus small group sessions plus meet the professor sessions. I'd also like to look at what else is provided. So the really good courses are now giving handout materials for patient education, for for example. Terrific opportunities to take away material that then my patients can learn about, or reminders, or checklists, or flow charts. So things that the doc can take away with them. So it's worth the $250 to spend that amount of time. So it's the sponsor. It's the degree of interactivity, the degree I have to raise my own questions and problems. It's the takeaway material. But most of all, it's what it's about. 
So a day in diabetes is probably a little less attractive to me than a day that might be called difficult problems in diabetes, comorbidities, for example. So as a practice and family doc, I know a fair bit about the routine management of diabetes, but it's the complex problems, the obese diabetic or the depressed diabetic that really bothered me. So looking real specifically for the objectives. Is there anything else you'd like to add that the practicing docs really need to know about CME? I think it's less about the credits, less about the accreditation system, all of which are there more or less in the background to help support a better system, and much more about you, your patient, and the educator with whom you spend time. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity. If you've just joined us, you're listening to conference coverage highlights from the 35th Annual Alliance for CME Conference. I'm Lawrence Sherman. I'd like to welcome Dr. George Mexicano to the program. Thanks, Lawrence. Pleasure to be here. George, what I'm interested in finding out from you is you're a practicing physician as well as a sort of a physician leader in CME. Do you feel that practicing physicians realize that CME is the longest part of their medical training? If you ask them and they think about it, I think it's become self-evident. But most people probably don't think of it that way. They don't sort of realize that they're going to be in practice 30, 40 years. So it's not obvious to them. When you participate in a CME activity, do you critique it as a doc or as a CME professional? As a clinician, as a doc, for sure. So you wear mm. one hat only? I wouldn't say only, but predominantly. I mean, I'm there as a learner. Speaking as a, a practicing clinician, when you have a challenge at the point of care, do you think about where you could go for CME to meet that point of care challenge or just a simple resource? It's actually becoming more and more complicated. I would say five years ago, the answer was that I needed to find a solution to the clinical problem. And if I could find it quickly, great. I didn't think of it as CME. And if it was sort of a recurring issue, then I would have to actively look for a CME activity to close that gap or improve my, my knowledge. But now with point of care, with online searching, with um, the, uh, the web and so many enduring activities available at fingers, you know, literally a keyboard, now, I think CME is always on my mind as a clinician, but it's not the traditional CME. It's not necessarily the annual conference. or It's closer in time and space to my patients. So what can we provide to practicing clinicians to get them to better understand CME? Is there a tool or a strategy that you think we can employ? The answer is yes, but I would probably use multiple strategies. I think one of them is minimizing barriers and optimizing solutions. In other words, instead of saying... You know, how are you getting your CME credits? We would be better aligned if we asked questions like the following. I know that there are areas in your clinical practice that you're interested in improving, updates that you want to know about. How can we help you do that? Did you know that you can read journals and get CME credit? Did you know that you can go on the Internet and get CME credit? You can go to conferences. You can do that on demand. Um, you can do things like radio and get CME credit. So I think we need to offer solutions and be proactive about it. That's one major way of doing it. I think the second way of doing it is be data-driven. We have to be, I think, far, we meaning educators, have to be far better at showing clinicians and administrators that actually education can make a difference in improving care. George, I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. Now joining us is Dr. Don Detmer from University of Virginia and the American Medical Informatics Association. Welcome, Don. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we really enjoyed your lecture this morning, and we think it made an impact on the CME community. I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about the impact of informatics on medical education and how it's going to affect the practicing docs today and tomorrow. 
having got a sense from this conference, what do you think the most important piece of informatics will be for CME in the near future? Sure. Yeah, I think the general tendency, if you're a practicing doc or a nurse or clinician and you hear about informatics, you tend to think the key thing is going to be learning how to use an electronic record and plug it in and be a new practitioner that way. That's really not the informatics. That may be the IT answer. Okay, but it's not the informatics. Informatics answer is how do I transform from thinking that my memory is going to, in fact, get me and my patients where I need to be with outcomes, without, in fact, an electronic record with decision support and evidence-based guidelines that we know improve outcomes. That's a big transformation, and it's not an every-night transformation, an overnight transformation, but that's where we're really headed. You know, it's interesting because the definition of CME means education that will ultimately impact patient care. Right. So in your lecture today, you talked a little bit about patient-centered care and interdisciplinary teams. How do you see the interjection of informatics into that, and where might CME come in to play a role? Sure. Well, again, I think that we've tended to think in terms of clinical guidelines, in terms of our own specialty or subspecialty. And I think as we start looking at this, and certainly as you start getting more patient-centered care, you're going to take a much more universal, comprehensive look at the whole thing. The issue is not did I just do get my patient the right pill or the right operation and I'm out the door right. in a short period of time. But in fact, did the follow-up kinds of issues that the patient and the patient's family need to sort out, did they really get that too? And in the, is there, in fact, the right kind of communications as well? which will probably going to be done through IT and communications technology, uh, did those pieces also fit into this? So unless the whole team that's relevant to that patient's problem and its best outcomes, not just for your piece of it, the best outcomes from the whole thing, really delivering the patient to a new state, if you will, unless all that's harmonized and synchronized and integrated, you know, that's just not where it'll be. And we know we haven't done that well. I mean, that's no secret. I mean, and clearly, obviously, even a good doc nurse wanting to be as consistent and as good as they can, if they don't have an infrastructure that helps them manage to that, they can't get there. And that's a lot of what this informatics is all about, is how do you get the information, which is sort of the nouns of it, and the IT, which is sort of the verbs of it, into making full sentences. And that's what informatics does. That's interesting as well. I, I mean, as I look at that, if I can sort of bring it together, that's like the continuum of care, not just a visit. So it's not a snapshot in time. It's more of a videotape of an ongoing process. And this is the backbone of that. Well, and not only that, in a region now, if you have these electronic records, it's not only those individual patients, you can now start saying, how did we do with all of the folks with that problem in our community? And how are we impacting on the health of the whole community as a result of that? And have those data so you can look at too. So you're really starting to integrate for over 100 years. We've separated clinical medicine and public health. Now I think they can start coming together in real terms, actually real terms. Dr. Detmer, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been conference coverage highlights from the 35th Annual Alliance for CME Conference. I'm Lawrence Sherman on ReachMD XM160. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.